Aesop, in his fable, The Lion and the Three Bulls, tells a version of the following story. There once were three bulls who had pastured together for a long time. They had an abundance of resources. They had good company. Things were going well. Life was easy. But nearby, there was a lion who was longing to have a delicious feast of their succulent meat. But while they were together, he was afraid to attack because they protected one another. They stuck together. They had union and strength. But this lion was a very crafty beast, and he came near, and he would often whisper in their ears, you'd have more pasture if you were off on your own. You'd be better if these other bulls weren't holding you back. Inevitably, the response would come, perhaps, but we have all we need. There's no reason to break up the gang. Life is good. And so the lion would sulk off to his corner, hungry and disappointed, but too afraid to attack while they were together. But as times and conditions changed, as they always do, the pasture became less and less. The bulls began to look a little more gaunt. And so they started to discuss among themselves what might be done. What, what could they do to change the situation? And the first bull chimed in, well, I've heard of green pastures over the horizon. We should go off and go and seek after these greener pastures, go for something new. And the second bull would chime in, we've been through times like this before. We just need to hold fast and dig in our heels and things will turn around. The third bull had his own ideas, but he stopped trying to speak because every time he tried to say anything, he was quickly dismissed by the other two, so why bother speaking at all? They talked and talked, but nothing changed. The lion, this crafty lion, saw his opportunity. He began to speak a little bit more fervently into their ears. To the first bull, he would say, these, these other two bulls are just holding you back. They're keeping you from the green pastures you've been dreaming about for years. Maybe it's time you went off on your own and did your own thing. You can leave these two suckers behind. To the second bull, he whispered into his ears, these younger people, these younger bulls, they just don't understand tradition and history. You've always been here. Now is not the time to leave. If they want to go, you should just tell them to go off on their own way. You don't need them anyways. If they leave, there'll just be more pasture left here for you. And they'll come back begging years later. You'll see. To the third bull, he whispered into his ear, these other two just don't appreciate what you have to offer. Maybe it's time you took your talents and your good ideas elsewhere. Maybe it's time to go off on your own. These two are just dragging you down anyways. They never listen. Somebody else will surely hear your great ideas. Conditions got worse, and the bulls began to argue amongst themselves. They, they shouted more fervently their ideas. The first bull yelling, if we just went over the horizon, there would be greener pastures. Don't you know that I'm the leader? This is where we need to stay. You young bulls just don't understand. We've got to stick with what we've always done. 
We don't have to abandon who we are, but it's time to move forward. It's time to get new ideas. We need to change our approach. They argued and argued, yelling back and forth, but none of them listening to one another, just shouting their ideas, getting more and more frustrated until finally their union was broken. They had had enough. They all went their separate ways, each bull off to pursue his own ideas and agendas. The lion could not have been more pleased with himself than he was at this moment. With the bulls separated, they were easy prey. One after another after another, he took them down and he feasted. For days and days, he lived like a king. It was glorious. See, he had never dreamed that it would actually work. These bulls had always stuck together, but now that they were divided, he could feast. The moral of Aesop's fable Union is strength. There's something very important about sticking together. The Apostle Paul in today's epistle hears a report about the church in Corinth and he's become concerned because the church is divided. It seems to be falling apart. It's gotten weak. It's broken. It's fractured. Everyone's going after their own ideas, pursuing their own agendas. One cries out and says, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. I follow Christ. Each has their own agendas, their own ideas of what needs to be done, of what it looks like to be faithful. None of them listening to the other group. So we don't know the the whole circumstances of what was happening in Corinth, but from the letters Paul has written, we do know that, that some of the people in Corinth became arrogant. They thought they knew better than the other groups, and the other groups thought that they were wrong and began to go in their own direction. There was a lot of infighting and bickering over what was the right direction, over what to do, over how to do things. They became a church divided. They were getting weaker and weaker because each group, each faction, each person was seeking after their own agenda. And so Paul sends a letter and he admonishes the people in Corinth to return to the foundation of their faith, to return to the cornerstone, Christ. And Paul uses some some different phrases. He, he begins by saying, is Christ divided? No, there's, there's one body, one church. Did Paul die for your sins? Was Paul crucified for you? No. Jesus alone is your Lord and Savior. He's the one who took your place. Were you baptized into Paul's name? No, you were baptized into Christ's name. Therefore, be unified as one church, one body with one Lord and Savior. Into one man's death and resurrection are you baptized. He alone is your hope. You need to hold fast in Christ. Paul is telling the people of Corinth to remember that they are called to be one, one body in Christ. Sometimes we too need to be reminded of that message, especially when we're distracted, especially when times get hard. You see, when we start to see the the cultural reality that, that things have changed, that the church isn't in the same place it used to be, that, that it seems like things are falling apart. We're losing our power. We're losing our place of prestige and culture. And all of a sudden, media and society marginalize our message. People aren't flocking to church on Sunday mornings across the nation like they used to be. 
can be a little scary. We, we mourn and we feel concerned about the loss of our position. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to deal with the changing circumstances. We're worried about the future of our church. We're worried whether or not our children and our grandchildren will know and have faith in Christ and will have that, that foundation of the church to lift them up and hold them up when times are hard. When the morning and the difficult days come, will there still be a church for our kids? Will they still be a part of it? We wonder about tomorrow. See, we're all concerned, and we all have our own ideas of of what the solution might look like. And so one group cries out and says, well, we need to be more like the mega church in the city down the road, or like the church in the city that's that's having more success. We need to, to follow their lead. And one person, one group says that, that we need to be more like our history. You know, we've been here for 165 years. We need to get back to what's always worked. More high church, more organ, more invite a friend to church Sundays, more door-to-door evangelism. Another group chimes in. We need to change how we're speaking the message. We need to become more relevant to the kids, to the, the culture today. We need to have better music or, or a better sound system or whatever it might look like. Now, I'm not saying that any one of these is right or wrong. My point is that when we start arguing with one another about it, when we stop listening and talking to one another about these issues, about where we might go, we become a fractured church. And we do this because we're concerned, because we feel like it's up to us to save the church, to change what's happening for tomorrow. We're worried because things aren't the same as they used to be. We've become weak and vulnerable, fractured as the body of Christ. And the more we obsess over tomorrow or think that it's up to us to find the solution for how to fix tomorrow's problems, how to make the church back to what it used to be or get back to the glory days, the more and more we become easy prey. See, our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's looking for the weak. He's looking for the concerned. He's looking for those who are frustrated with a body that that never seems to do what it's supposed to, people who have, have just had enough. And he continues to whisper fervently into each and every one of our ears, maybe you'd be better off at the church down the road. Maybe you'd be better off if you if you weren't at church at all. After all, the church is just filled with broken, messy people. You don't you don't need that. You don't need those kinds of people. After all, you can listen to a sermon on your own now off the internet. Why bother with the body of Christ? He continues to try and divide us, to separate us. He continues to distract us, telling us that our ideas are better. He tries to help to make us forget the foundation of what drew us here in the first place. He tries to make us forget the message of the gospel, that we need a savior that we can't save ourselves, that God is in control, but but Christ has forgiven our sins. He tries to make us forget the gospel truth of what we have been built on, our foundation. And when we forget that message, another another person slips out the side door. Another person leaves on a Sunday morning and, and doesn't come back because as members we're too obsessed with our own ideas and agendas. And we stop proclaiming the gospel message. We stop proclaiming Christ crucified. We get caught up and we lose sight of what matters most. See, Paul 
appeals to the people in Corinth. He says you need to find unity. You need to be one in mind and judgment. Now that doesn't mean that we all have the same ideas. We all have the same opinions. It doesn't mean that we all see things the same way. We're not clones of one another. But it does mean that when the church makes a decision, when we come together and we talk and decide on the direction the church is going to go, that we all get behind it. We all stick together and work together for the future of the church. See, we're able to do this because we remember that it's, it's not up to us to save the church. Because if Christ is still Lord of the church, and he is, then he still cares for it. He is still guiding it. He is still mindful of it. He will not forsake it or abandon it. He will not abandon this church. He's not done with this congregation. See, Paul appeals to the people in Corinth and to you and me today to find unity in Christ Jesus. Now, that, that unity comes in faithfulness to Christ and his gospel, to that message proclaimed. See, there are many different ways we can do things as a church, different programs we can use, different styles of worship, different ways that we can do evangelism. It, it's not about that there's one right answer to those problems. But rather, no matter what we do, we need to hold fast and remember the foundation that we are one body in Christ seeking to proclaim his gospel, his message. After all, there is only one Savior, one church, one baptism, one gospel that we were baptized into, one gospel that we hold on to. See, we believe that, that the gospel is this, that, that Jesus Christ came for all people, that he died for each and every one of us, that all of us need a Savior, and that we are saved by his blood shed on the cross, not by our agendas, not by our ideas, not by what we do, but by what he has done, and that's what we need to be about as a church. We need to proclaim that message. See, the church has to hold fast to the same proclamation of the gospel that we have always held on to. Either the cross is everything or it is nothing at all. When we lose sight of that truth and we start to become obsessed with our own ideas, our own agendas, our own feelings, our own pride, our own programs, our 165-year history, when we make those things too important, we lose sight of the truth. And we start to feel like we have to save the church. And we hold on to those things a little bit too tightly. And all of a sudden they become idols that distract us from proclaiming Christ crucified. See, after all, this message is foolishness and weakness to those outside the church. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power and the wisdom of God that gives us strength. See, while, while the church may have lost its position at the center of culture, while we may not be the, the power brokers of, of society anymore, this gospel message has not lost its power. It still has the power to transform lives. It still has power to shine light in the darkness. It still has the power to forgive sins and give life to those who are dead dead in their trespasses. So I appeal to you. Hold fast in the unity of Christ 
as God's one people in his unshakable promises to life everlasting. Amen.